I can bring you in warm, or I can bring you in cold. This is where the fun begins. Hello there. Hello, and welcome to Jedi Knights, the official Star Wars podcast for Joy Clicks. Uh, my name is Mike Connors. I'm one of your hosts, as always. Christian Buckley is joining me on the other end. How are you today? I'm doing good, Mike. It's, uh, it's looking like Hoth outside here in New England. It is looking like I'd, I thought that yesterday. And uh, yeah, I was surprised that when I looked down the street, I didn't see any snow speeders, no, eight, no ADATs, you know, like, mm-hmm. where was all that? It's hard out here. I, I I almost had to sleep in a tauntaun. <laughs> How many jokes can we come up with? It's, Just... <laughs> it's it's the two things I'll never not do is when it's when it's snowy outside, I'll say it looks like Hoth. When it's foggy, I'll say it's Silent Hill, despite having never played a Silent Hill game in my life. But um, without fail, every time. Well, I mean, you could you could also say if it's foggy, you could say that you know it's like Dagobah, in a way. Sure, you know, I should probably switch to that, just so I'm not, like, a fake fan. It's like, I'm making these Silent Hill jokes, I got no, no skin in the game on Silent Hill. Or just play the Silent Hill games. Yeah, um, <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's 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 probably the way to do it. And, okay. I, whatever. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, how are you, man? I'm, I'm doing good. Like, honestly, I've been playing Star Wars Battlefront 2 a lot recently. Nice. That's been, nice. That's, been my, that's been my jam. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why I've been like taking it up re- more recently, but that's just been what what's been happening. Yeah, I um, you know, outside of the reading Light of the Jedi, I finished it like two days after we recorded last week, so it's been about a week. Um, and aside from that, you know, just trying to keep up doing some Star Wars TikToks. That's really been all of maintaining with the Star Wars content recently. Um, but I, I ordered last night. I ordered um, Into the Dark. So the quite a gray higher public book should be getting here in the next couple of days for me. So I'm excited for that too, because uh obviously loved Master and Apprentice, but True, true. So yeah, speaking of Light of the Jedi, that is something that we're gonna be talking about later on in the episode. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we should start the episode off this the way that we always do. Mm-hmm. Uh with with our segment from the Jedi Archives. Uh Christian, since I'm the one who's taking control of the episode today, I'm gonna have you go first. Sounds good. Uh, you said that you don't know if you picked this one before. I'm excited to hear it. Um, yes. Um, I have chosen to, like, nobody needs to be educated on this, but BD-1 is my choice. Oh, okay. Uh, BD-1 was a BD unit droid that accompanied Eno Cordova and later the former Padawan Cal Kestis during the time after Order 66. Uh, the BD unit des- designated BD-1 was an exploration droid. A masculine program droid accompanied uh, Ina Cordova, eventually Cal Kestis, um, after resting on Bagano forever. Um, but the BD unit specifically, Mike, they are designed to be companion droids uh, to assist with operations in remote and dangerous locations across the galaxy. So if Bear Grylls mm. existed in the world of Star Wars, you <laughs> bet he'd have a BD-1, you know? He's like, it's... It's the droid equivalent of a pocket knife. No, seriously. Uh, I heard that the uh, people who created BD-1, BD stands for buddy or something yeah. like that. Yeah, uh-huh. I love that. Which is the perfect which is the perfect thing. And also, I'm pretty sure they like tried to mimic like a dog in uh, BD-1's actions in the game and everything, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty cool. Yes, and of course, BD-1, very cute droid, very lovely droid. I'd love to have a BD unit. Um, but I'm looking... On the BD unit page, and we have a second BD unit. I was not aware of this. All right. Is he BD2? No, we have a, a TA418. Was it oh, okay. a All droid right. aligned with the Shadow University during the Imperial Era, assisting Dr. Eustacia Oka? So. Interesting. Where was that from? Does it say, like, I imagine it's probably from some sort of like comic book or something. Looks looks like a comic. I'm trying to find a source on which comic it is, but um, oh, it's from Doctor Afro. So, oh, Doctor Afro, like, interesting. I I only, I always wanted to read those. I have not read those yet, though. Yeah, that's um, gonna be a nice e- afternoon. You know, just getting through all those books at some point. Seriously. So yeah, yeah. Uh, well, um, yeah. So our segment is called "From the Jedi Archives." So I picked uh, something sort of. Something from the Star Wars canon that is tangential to that. I picked 
Jocasta New. Nice. I, I don't I don't think we've ever picked her before. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jocasta New, a force sensitive human female, she was a Jedi Master who served as the chief librarian of the Jedi Archives during the Clone Wars. Uh, in, infamous for her scene in Attack of the Clones, where she tells Obi Wan that if it's not in the Jedi Archives, then it doesn't exist. Yes. Uh, yeah. See, that's just that's emblematic of the hubris. I was going to that happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so she she's a great she's a great character, and I'm pretty sure that she survives the initial purge, but goes back in the Darth Vader comic books uh, to the Jedi Temple to get like some sort of holocron. Now, but is is killed by Darth Vader, I believe. I remember pre-canon wipe, or not even canon, pre-EU wipe. I I uh-huh. think Jocasta knew was either in Battlefront Two in a mission or in um, Force Unleashed. Oh, or maybe the Episode Three game. I don't remember, but I remember specifically seeing her die at the hands of Suit Vader in video game format. So interesting. Well, that's cool. I mean, I think it's it, I think it's interesting that you know, like I, I don't think Anakin and Jocasta New ever have like a moment in this prequel trilogy. I don't I think so, it. not that I know of. But yeah, so I thought it was fitting for uh, the segment and everything. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's Jocasta New. Good pick. Uh, rest in peace. Um, so yeah, I think that we should move on to some of the news that we have here before we talk about Light of the Jedi towards the end of the episode. Uh, which I'm excited to talk about, Christian, because it's mm-hmm. been a while since I read that book, mm-hmm. uh, and I know that you just recently finished it. So it'll be a good minding, uh, melding of the minds, I guess. Sure. Uh, so moving on to the news, one of the things that I saw while I was doing my own like cursory search of the internet was that Ewan McGregor confirmed the filming date for Star Wars Obi Wan Kenobi, or at least like the uh, time period at which they'll they'll film it. So. He said that they'll be filming it in Los Angeles this spring, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes me think that this show is probably going to have a 2022 release. Um, what do you think about that, Christian? So I'm, I'm confused slightly. Maybe this is just him, yeah. like his stuff, because I believe I do believe that Kenobi's been in production since early january or at least maybe they were still building sets i don't know but i remember there was some footage of some set construction in i think london or something but um if ewan is starting in spring then yeah i mean i never really and i don't think you did either assumed that we'd get kenobi starting this year but I, I i don't think this rules out seeing something like a trailer or something like that no, I think we'll definitely see some sort of trailer. I I don't remember. Did we ever cover what you were talking about earlier, Christian? About I don't think so, because like I I don't think it was anything major. Like there was no footage of the set. It was like tarps and like uh, metal chain link fences around the area where they were building stuff. Um, Interesting. Well, I mean, it could have just like you said, they could have just been like building sets and stuff yeah so. and depending on the scale of the show too like you know Din Djarin isn't in every scene of Mandalorian right like there's some scenes without that's him so that's true though I would hope that like Obi-Wan would be in most shots yeah. <laughs> like I don't know yeah. <laughs> anyways um but one other thing that he said he actually it was interesting that uh, I got this news from Star Wars Newsnet but Ewan McGregor actually talked with Eddie, the comedian Eddie Izzard, I think, on his like podcast, which is kind of funny. Okay. Um, but he also said that uh, the show will be shot on the Stagecraft volume technology that was made famous by The Mandalorian. We've talked a lot about this before. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe that's like the 360 sets and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's something that we kind of already knew, but mm-hmm. that's just cool that they'll be taking that technology and using it for other things. Yeah, because I I think you and I thought it was a given, but um, I've been also I've been watching WandaVision because that's like the next big Disney Plus production, yeah. and I don't think they've used stagecraft for that show at least in the first four episodes. So I've also watched the first four episodes, and not that I've been paying attention for that specifically, it doesn't seem like they have. 
Yeah, because, like, it seems like there's a lot of outdoor shots, like, a lot of exteriors and, like, neighborhoods and uh, highways. So, like, I, I think it's not a given. Maybe Star Wars is just going to pursue that further. Like, we don't know. Mando shot on location one episode. Um, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. But, yeah. Also, since, since Deborah Chow is going to be directing the Obi-Wan series, like, since she was also director on the Mandalorian, she yeah. she has experience using that technology, so I'm sure she wants to continue using it. Mm-hmm. Um, Makes sense. Well, uh, this is a great segue into the next piece of news. It's also uh, Obi Wan Kenobi related. Christian, mm-hmm. uh, love it when we have more Obi Wan news. Uh, so there's a man, but he goes by the name uh, Chung Hoon Chung Hoon Chung. He's been hired as cinematographer on Star Wars Obi Wan Kenobi. Uh, so that's interesting. I, I guess uh, this is this is an exclusive report that comes out of South Korea, uh, the news website Cine Twenty One. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been confirmed by Lucasfilm or Disney. Let's just put a little asterisk on it. But um, this, uh, so so Chung Hoon Chung has been uh, he he's been a cinematographer for The Handmaiden, uh, okay. which he also he also won an award for uh, the movie Old Boy. Hotel Artemis, Zombieland, Double Tap, uh, the upcoming Edgar Wright movie, Last Night in Soho, and Uncharted. Uh, so yeah, he's a Korean cinematographer, and if he uh, if this is true, then he'd be the first Korean cinematographer in Star Wars history. Uh, that's very interesting. I've seen, um, I saw Old Boy. Uh, I don't know if that's okay. the original or the remake. I'd assume. Could well, Hotel uh, Artemis was a Hollywood production too, so maybe it could have been either um last night in soho i'm excited for and if edgar wright is is approving of this man for his films which are very stylistic in the way they're shot then like i i'm down you know obviously we've seen a lot of directors or creators get brought into star wars that have or even any marvel thing that have such a flair that do they're able to fit it in line still with like the visual language of whatever IP. So um, I'm sure it will still feel like star Wars, you know, like Taika's episode felt like star Wars still, but um, exciting news. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I obviously I'm not familiar with Chung Hoon Chung's work like myself, but obviously, you know, Deborah Chow probably has a say over this too. And if she approves, like you said, if Edgar Wright approves, then I approve, man, let's, Mm -hmm. let's get it uh yeah that's pretty cool i just thought it was interesting something to note uh so moving on from that um lucasfilm has hired a netflix executive um, as vice president of physical production so this uh her name goes by mamita sengupta uh she's a former paramount and netflix executive um and so this this comes from deadline uh the website deadline i believe that's also uh, a magazine right i think Uh, all i know is like deadline if they shoot a shot it's normally accurate <laughs> so like no for sure yeah. for sure this this comes from from them so i believe it yeah. uh so so they've been hired to be like the executive vice president of lucasfilms physical productions which reports directly to kathleen kennedy um so that means that she'll be able to like out alloc- so this this is coming from star wars news net now i don't really know what a vice president of physical production does yeah. but according to star wars news net uh she gets to allocate resources for various projects and development uh, shows that are under already underway, like Andor, to shows that have already been announced, only been announced, like Lando. Uh, she'll be keeping tabs on everything from pre-production to post-production work to managing finances, and uh, yeah, so she has a pretty extensive background. She seems experienced, and it's interesting that she's going to have a hand in new Lucasfilm, you know, I, uh, stuff coming fo- going forward. Seems like she's going to have a hand in literally everything. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking right here. Uh, you wrote that she worked on uh, at Netflix in this a similar position from 2018 to 2021. Um, so that means I don't know how directly she was involved with this stuff, but like a couple seasons of Stranger Things and the launch of The Witcher, which are like two ginormous shows in, in the streaming wars. So like, yeah, yeah, probably could get Tiger King too. Oh sure, yeah. That that was I forgot that was last year. That's I I thought you were saying something else. So sorry for that awkward pause. Oh no no, no all good all good. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so so it's kind of interesting that she's gonna have like a hand in all this kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, 
I'd like to know like what the other vice presidents are of Lucasfilm. They're this this is like a person that we're gonna talk about once and like never talk about again because they're just like in the background of everything. Yeah. But um I think it's it, good to note because these people do have a lot of influence. For sure. And I I think it's it's funny because this type of job is something that a lot of like the toxic people associate like kathleen kennedy does all of this stuff you know yeah and like it's just seeing that there is a position that somebody's hired into that is overseeing allocation of funds that's like not like it's it's every time we get a news drop like this it's like oh so yes the people who complain specifically about this individual have no idea what her job is no for for real and i mean like like the deadline report also like makes the point that this uh you know Mamita Sengupta she's going to be reporting directly to Kathleen Kennedy and like I Kathleen Kennedy you know that she knows that like all of the blame is going to fall on her shoulders if she's like you know her position that's just like what comes with it mm-hmm. but yeah you're right people totally fail to acknowledge that it's not just her that's making unilaterally making all these decisions it's right. these people as well mm-hmm. so. um yeah, congrats to Momita Sengupta, though. It seems like she's been working towards something like this for a while, so yeah. congrats to her. <laughs> That's awesome. Dream job. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, so, yeah, moving on to something a bit lighter I thought was cool. Um, so Star Wars Victory's Price. I don't think we've talked about this. It's a novel. Uh, it's. I think it's the third book in the Alphabet Squadron trilogy. Oh. Um, so I believe, yeah, that the, there, there have been two books that have come out of that, mm-hmm. right? Right. So this is coming out on March 2nd. Um, it has a new excerpt that was released. So if anybody's interested in the new uh, Alphabet Squadron book, the third book of, I think it's a trilogy. Maybe there's going to be more. Uh, Star Wars Victory's Price is the name of the book. Go read it. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Into the Dark by Claudia Gray comes out today. Hell yeah. Uh, as, as we talked about before. Um, I, I have... Like I said before, I have that Amazon gift card that I grabbed at Christmas, and I uh, I saw yesterday, I was like, oh, I actually, I did this at like 11.45 at night. I was <laughs> like, wait, so tomorrow is when Into the Dark comes out. The hardcover is on sale for 13 bucks as a pre-order. Is that automatically going to go up to 18 when the clock hits midnight? I didn't want to wait to find out, so... <laughs> <laughs> did it go up? Because I haven't bought it yet, and I probably should. I don't know, I can check. Um, I mean... Do you, is there any specific hesitation for you or no i i will i will still buy it at 18 dollars. i just forgot about it to be oh, quite sure. honest with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah i i'm excited for it because like i said master and apprentice maybe it's just because it was our first book we read for star wars but like i really like that book i like claudia claudia gray's writing style and um the like it's probably gonna feel like a spiritual sequel to that because she is writing again about a master and apprentice in the world of star wars yeah totally and similar to charles soul she has a pretty huge task of uh you know still building out this period uh the high republic because there hasn't been in the grand scheme of things there really hasn't been much content from this period yet Mm -hmm. uh she's she's in the ground floor if you put it that way yeah so Uh, I'm, i'm looking right now um it is currently still 13 20 for the hardcover all right, gonna have to do it. Um, but yeah, no, say what you're gonna say. I was gonna ask. Uh, this is the first of the like YA books, essentially. Yeah. Where the adult books begin with uh, Light of the Jedi and follow up with uh, the Rising Storm, I think. Um, so I'm looking right now. They have a couple books let out here in this 12 to 18 range that. I was not aware we had titles and authors attached to. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Can you read some of them? Um, Out of the Shadows is coming July 2021 by Justina Ireland, who we've talked about before. And the next one is Race to Crash Point Tower from Daniel Jose Older. So both of those are also, or that one is also hitting uh, summer 2021. And so those are, are those supposed to be like uh, into the dark style ones or like even younger than that? Uh, these are all in the 12 to 18 YA age range. Um, I think, Interesting. 
I'm gonna see how I like Into the Dark in terms of like its complexity compared to Light of the Jedi, I think. Um, but the main reason I'm in on this one is because Claudia Gray, I think. Totally. Uh, I also have Red Bloodline mm-hmm. by her, which follows uh, Leia, Leia's story after Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I have to agree with you. She's an extremely good writer. I think out of all the Star Wars books that I've read, which hasn't been many, she's up there with like Timothy Zahn, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so I'm excited to read this for sure. Um, big Claudia Gray fan, just like you, Christian. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, yeah, why don't we move on from that sort of news and turn to EA and Star Wars Battlefront. Mm-hmm. Now, I wish I was talking about Star Wars Battlefront 3. Don't we? However... Either. However, that's not the case. We're going to be talking about Star Wars Battlefront 1 and Star Wars Battlefront 2. Uh, So Walt Disney Records, they're finally putting out the original soundtracks for Star Wars Battlefront 1 and 2. Not the original ones, the EA ones. The Mm -hmm. ones that came out in 2015 and 2017. Now, Uh, Mike. This is great. What? Isn't the music just the Star Wars movie music? So, Christian, the music is not just the Star Wars movie music. If so, they would just be John Williams, right? Yeah. So, uh, the composer's name is actually Gordy Habe, Hob, I think. Uh, and they, uh, this person has also scored Respawn's Jedi Fallen Order Ooh. and Squadrons. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, that, uh, that Cal Kestis theme is great. It's really good. <laughs> No, for sure. And I mean obviously obviously Gordy Hobb has the has the approval to use John Williams themes and motifs mm-hmm. as these fit. But yeah, it's completely his work. Um he also does this I just thought was funny. Uh, he also did uh Bioware still ongoing The Old Republic, so he does the music for that and Connect Star Wars. So what do you know? It, did Gordy Hobb write I'm Han Solo? So no, that's I think that's like a that's a specifically da- like connected dance. Okay, okay. If only mm-hmm. he did that. Because what uh, what a resume that would be. It's like I orchestrated Battlefront and Battlefront Two. I wrote a new theme for a brand new Jedi in the Star Wars universe, and I also wrote a parody of Ryan Solo. <laughs> yeah, Jason Derulo's Ryan Solo. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I wish he did, but no, he didn't. Uh, I actually think I had the Connect Star Wars game. I, I like got a Connect like when when it all happened, mm-hmm. like back back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, way too overhyped for what it was. Kind of sucked. Um, that's just my opinion, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, I was I was looking at this this uh, you know I think it was on Star Wars Newsnet that I saw this news, and uh, it made the point that at the Epic Game Store recently gave away free copies of Battlefront 2 for a week. I think we had talked about that. Yes. Um, and uh, I don't know if we had talked about this specifically, but there were 19 million unique new players on Battlefront 2. That is astounding. Yeah. And I, I believe EA Star Wars, or maybe the Dice Twitter account, like, like linked to that article and they were like hey thank you so much unfortunately we're not doing any more updates but we're glad you're having fun and i was like ah i don't know i still don't get why they canceled live service for that i i really think it's probably because they had to put their efforts towards uh battlefield 7 or whatever's the next one <laughs> like yeah, um, yeah and i would imagine because of ea like the company the way ea is run i would imagine that um like they'd probably be talking to dice you know and they're like i imagine dice was like they pitched the idea of like hey what if we just kept building up battlefront 2 and of course, like ea was probably like hey you got new consoles you got new power make it better <laughs> do it again yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i'd imagine well i I, yeah, I feel like at some point we're gonna get like a Battlefront three. Oh yeah. Um, God, I hope so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I have to say though, I, when I saw this news, I was really excited because I think the music for Battlefront two is really really good. Um, like there have been, have been many times in which like some of the themes from that had gotten stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. Namely, namely like the title 
theme like when you first open up the game yeah. i don't know just think i just i something about it man i've found myself going on youtube and looking it up let's just put it that way yeah it's, it's got some good music it, it's able to capture star wars in those tense firefights uh in a very impressive way for original music you're right like it's worthy of recognizing on that front definitely definitely mm-hmm. um so the last i don't know if you have anything else to say about that oh, no. so the last thing that i picked out for our news today is something that kind of makes me really excited uh hasbro pulse revealed lucasfilm's 50 an- anniversary products including a ton of new black series for the 50th anniversary of lucasfilm mm-hmm. so christian there's some there's there's some, some pieces of gold in here some diamonds, some silver, and some gold. Mm-hmm. I have the the link he posted pulled up right now. Um, Same. I love, like, I, I now that I see these, I still, I've said it before, I have to find my uh, Star Wars action figures from when I was younger. Because uh, I have no idea where they are. Uh, I think in my desk, actually, I have a General Grievous from the, whatever the vintage series is. <laughs> right? Nice. Like the three, almost four inch ones yeah um oh yeah here he is i'll send a picture to you after mike but yeah we got general okay. right here nice the general <laughs> himself um and i have one of the cloth robes in there as well that you see on mace windu but um i i love how those look like i think i have a mace windu action figure from when i was younger it looks nothing like samuel L. jackson compared to this one like this is spot on i think for sure i i I also like the packaging of these uh they're they're, they call back to the old ones um especially especially like if you look at the mace windu one Mm -hmm. i think that same exact packaging was used Mm -hmm. back in like 2000 or like 1999 i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure i have like you know or i've seen that packaging Mm -hmm. and now that I'm thinking of this too, I think I might have a Qui-Gon as well. But this is a like I like the Phantom Menace boxes. Um maybe I try and buy a Qui-Gon. I don't know. <laughs> are they uh are they six inches? Do you know? Uh, the... I think they're four. Okay. So uh they're they're smaller for sure, and they're more like I think meant for action figures than collectibles, unless you like keep them in the box. Um this Jar Jar is interesting. I scrolled by it fast. I thought that was a lightsaber. I thought we got some canonization of Darth Jar Jar for a second. <laughs> no, we just get we just get this staff that he never has. Uh, <laughs> instead, yeah, isn't there? Um, wasn't there some other? I think in the Mandalorian, I watched uh, for gallery. They talked about how uh, one of the figures. I think it might have been like one of the bounty hunters. Uh, the the Kenner toy had a weapon or tool included with it that they never used in the movie like completely unrelated to anything but i think in the mandalorian like they made that prop so it was like contextualized in universe still or something based off the toy so that reminded me of that that's that's really interesting actually Mm -hmm. Uh, i'd love to see like you know for some reason disney allows george lucas to make edits the prequels or something and he adds like Jar Jar carries around like a staff with him all the time or something. Yeah. This is just this ten foot staff walking through the halls of uh the uh the Senate. For sure, yeah, yeah. But uh I, I like like we were talking about, I really like the uh Phantom Menace um uh packaging and I also like how they're going back and doing the Kenner ones too. Yeah. That's uh, cool. For Return of the Jedi, they have a cool Leia that I think looks pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Um and also, they have Siege of Mandalore, Darth Maul, and Ahsoka as those, well. Those are very nice. Vintage collection, that is. Mm-hmm. Those are also, nice. also, since you are extremely... Well, I feel like you're more excited for the Bad Batch than I am, Christian. Mm-hmm. They have uh, an elite squad trooper from the Bad Batch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they also have somebody else, too. But... Yeah, uh, whoever Donatello is. <laughs> right <laughs> do they each have do they each have their own like correlation oh for sure like hunter's leonardo because he's the leader uh okay the techie guy i forget his name he's donatello a big dude that's wild and out all the time that's Raphael easily and whoever's left is mikey <laughs> that's just how it works see i'm not super i'm not familiar with the t the teenage mutant ninja turtles so mm-hmm. 
uh, like I know I know each of them are named after like Italian Renaissance painters. Yeah, right? Leonardo leads, Dante does machines, Raphael's cool but rude, and Michelangelo's party dude. Very cool, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> that guy also he went to he went to our, our alma mater. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, well, one thing I did want to say there is this old Ben uh, Hasbro thing. Then he has like he has like a red cape on, and I don't like it. Uh, I think it's cool because it's going for like the um, how like the the capes of like the Vader one were like inaccurate, you know, like not screen accurate. Just the Vader. If you've seen the Vader uh, Kenner thing with like the extendable lightsaber, it's like he's got a weird black cape on with shoulder pads or something that looks okay. exactly like his Obi Wan one. So on that level, I think it's a neat thing because it's like, hey, we're going for that old nostalgic, imperfect thing, but yeah but just like why no yeah like it's the same thing like greedo's got like a lime green jumpsuit on you know it's like weird but cool right right well interesting i i think it's all it's all really cool stuff um is there anything is there anything else you want to say about the black series christian uh no i i've I've yet to pull the trigger on the black series but it's it's coming i can tell you that one of these days So why don't we uh, turn to the main event here, mm-hmm. Christian? Let's talk about Star Wars: uh, Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule. Now, uh, you recently finished this book. Correct? Yes, I did. So I don't even really know where to begin. Why don't uh, we begin with Loading Great Storm, dude? <laughs> all right, all right. We could, we could. Uh, he's a Twi'lek, right? Yes, he's the green Twi'lek that you see on the cover with the yellow lightsaber. Uh, I think he so far might be my favorite character. Uh, we should we should say that this this is gonna be a spoiler talk. Right? Yes, Christian. yes. So we gave impressions before. We're both positive on the book mostly. Um, a few hangups, but yes, yeah, spoilers on the table. Uh, love him, love Bell. Both of them were like highlights. Every time I got to read the two of them, I was like smiling. I was like, oh yeah, okay, let's go. No, for sure. I I also liked all the uh, the 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 points in which uh, Luton Greatstorm essentially throws Bells that afar off a cliff and <laughs> yeah. stuff. So, well, uh, why don't we take a little bit, a, lo- a little, a few steps back? Sure. Um, let's just think. Let's think about this more from a macro lens, Christian. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about let's talk about let's talk about the time period first. Sure. Shall we? Why don't we? Why don't we talk, talk that? macro so this is the first book in the high republic which is a new era uh publishing initiative also eventually going to be some sort of tv show coming from disney lucasfilm uh takes place about 200 ish years before the phantom menace and it's a completely new uh period of star wars time period star wars canon star wars lore never been explored before Mm -hmm. uh did not mean to run and (laughs) so so it, it's completely new, and Charles Soule gets to write Light of the Jedi, which is the first book in uh, basically kicking off this new initiative. So, Christian, you're coming off it a little bit more fresh than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you give some thoughts about this new time period overall? The High Republic, sure. it's not quite the old Republic. It's not quite the Republic we knew, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's high and mighty. Yeah, I think um, I like it a lot. And I really enjoy learning about all these things. One of my favorite things, and I forget if we brought this up last week, is the idea that, and I think this contextualizes the entire Star Wars timeline so well, like, Mm -hmm. they don't understand hyperspace. I love that. I love that so much. That's so cool. It's, It's very cool. Because, like, we all know hyperspace. We all know the blue tunnels. We know exactly, like, what the rules should probably be for hyperspace because of the originals, right? And then... You rewind 200 years and then this we open the book with this woman who's like ex-marines essentially ex-air force in the star wars galaxy and like she like doesn't trust hyperspace she doesn't understand it you know i i think that's so cool because it's that is evident of what i think the higher public does so well where like it takes something that we know and recontextualizes it in a way that makes it feel new and exciting and shows how far we've come yeah with the skywalker saga versus like where we began and where we're not even touching further in the past you know it makes it makes the old star wars like of the prequels and the original trilogies and even the sequel trilogy feel new mm-hmm. by making like things in those feel super old yeah right which is really impressive i think 
Yeah. And I have to agree with you how basically this whole story revolves around this, the fact that the Republic just does not understand hyperspace. Mm-hmm. Um, they're kind of, I, I think it's a good allegory as they're starting to expand their reach. Uh, it's sort of like the Roman Empire. They start to lose control of it in a way. They can't quite like maintain that spread. Mm-hmm. And it's starting to become evident in the sense that like there are just so many so many things happening in the outer rim and they're trying to be like the you know explorers of that space that area but they can't put a they can't put a handle on it yeah which and, i think is also interesting and like now that you say that like with this first book i think this honestly i don't this is impressive if this is how it happens but like <laughs> i think do we just crack the code christian maybe i think the hetzel system issue yeah. with like hyperspace and not understanding hyperspace um and closing hyperspace and the way that the chancellor eventually like uh deploys jedi and like the function of starlight beacon like i think that's what leads to the jedi failing in revenge of the sith like this exact thing because like you mentioned of them like losing control having to be like okay well the republic can't be everywhere we'll just send we'll deploy jedi we'll have them be out there and that type of role for the jedi as we see in this book isn't like pure protector and guardian you know there's different levels um so yeah i could see that like being stationed on these planets away from the republic will harden them in a way that's like more survivalist more uh warrior like and eventually build up to that point in the prequels where it's like hey the jedi don't really stand for what they're meant to stand for and i i wonder if that's what they're trying to do no for sure i it's kind of interesting that you know where you talked you you brought up the starlight beacon and that's something that's sort of just like in the background of this story it's not as uh you know it's it's not as out there as i thought it would be Mm -hmm uh in terms of just like prevalence within the actual plot yeah um but yeah you're right it's it's definitely something indicative of the fact that the republic is expanding and they can't control it and so they decide to send the jedi out i guess what would be interesting to know and i don't think the story really goes into it at all is was there opposition like within the jedi order to do that right Mm -hmm. to to follow the chancellor and be like become that sort of like warrior force for the republic that maybe they weren't before sure Um, because i'll say this like for most of the book (laughs) they are filling that role of like protector and guardian you know towards the end it's like hey we have to mount assault basically um yeah so it does get a little more closer to that warrior mindset that uh the chancellor is maybe instilling in them but um yeah very interesting things to think about um out the gate with this book for sure so uh why don't we talk about some of the characters Mm -hmm. christian uh you already brought up loading great storm who rules he's got a yellow lightsaber yeah you know like i i've been re i've been reading him and his voice kind of like kevin conroy's batman so like the arkham batman he i think that's the voice i've given him through reading it kind of I, I'm not very familiar with the art like of that, deep, I have to say. Deep voice, sturdy, smooth, but, like, charming and fun. Like, he laughs. Like, big belly laughs. See, I I kind of got the impression that he's, like, a little bit stern. You know, or, or, or pretty yeah. pretty pretty stern. And, sure. like, he, he's not he's not t- quite, t- quite the laughing type. I mean, I, I think it's because of the way he, like, all his interactions with Bale, especially at the beginning on Hetzel, like, I read that of, like, uh, seeing him mess up and saving him, like, when he's like, oh, we're gonna, you, I'm gonna jump you off a building later, like, <laughs> that, yeah, like, yeah. him, like, I, I read that with him, like, smiling as he's saying it, like, ah, yeah, okay, all right, get all right. ready for that, <laughs> you know? Yeah, they, the relationship between Bell and Loden is also really great, uh, especially from the beginning on Hetzel, where they have to, like, basically, uh, be Robin Hood, um, and, yeah. and take the ship from the from the wealthy people uh mm-hmm. i what do you think about avar chris i like that i have lot. to really okay yeah i like centering um like i i feel like avar is the gateway to the force more than others because i know we touched on it last week of like enjoying how the force manifests itself differently for other people but 
so much of the way Hetzel plays out and the rescue is dependent on her and her relationship with the Force. So doing that and showing this great feat they're trying to do from the perspective of using the Force and like thinking of the Force in a different way, I thought made the impossible odds seem a bit more realistic in the context of it, you know? Because, like, yeah, for... it, it was easier to buy, I think, of, like, them trying to stop this ship with the Force together, where it's like, okay, she can unify the Jedi as, like, a comms link, basically, and reading the way she interacts with the Force as music is like, this is new, I'm learning about the Force from her perspective here, and seeing this massive Jedi that we never really had before able to unite and channel them, their, themselves through her made the end result of Hetzel make more sense to me. Yeah. I mean, I guess to me, I, 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 I'm not as hot on Avar Chris as I think you might be. Okay. Um, that whole thing that she managed to pull off at the end of that Hetzel system thing seemed like a little too convenient. Sure um I, I i see where you're coming from i also think that like do, do, doesn't her don't her powers sort of remind you of like bastel shan's battle meditation from uh knights of the republic you said you played a bit of that right so i i've vassal is in the party now and um i haven't been able to see it in action but i've heard people talk about it and like oh the reason we won is because of her uh, battle meditation and stuff like that so I, I can see some comparisons uh i'm assuming the battle meditation is a way to unify similar to this so yeah it's to unify and also like decrease the like morale and resolve of your enemies okay okay so yeah i mean like honestly she mostly just taught they mostly just talk about it in that game you probably yeah but like i i don't know i just feel like she wasn't as compelling like to me she wasn't as compelling as some of the other characters like I, I didn't really understand like if she had any like internal conflict really i, I guess like she has a thing with elzar man yeah <laughs> i which i think is interesting mm-hmm. but i also think like elzar man with like the way that the book describes him as being more uh like free thinking with the force and like trying to do like hippie stuff with it i think is like more interesting than like avar she just seems like she seems like the goody two-shoes Sure, I can see that. And like I think in the in her role of this story specifically cuz we'll see more from her obviously, but like Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think her role in this story, I don't know if she needed to be that. Cuz I think we have so many other Jedi that are pretty different with how they walk through life and the Force and their training of themselves and their students like I think having Avar be sort of a foundation where it's like Hey, if you're looking for, like, basically the Obi-Wan, I guess, like, doesn't really go off the beaten path much, is pretty by the book. When you think JEDI, all caps, it's like, this person fits that description. I think that's what she was meant to be for this story. And I think having her Force powers be such an interesting concept of, like, she hears the Force as, like, a music thing, I I think that was the hook they gave and then in the future because i feel like main character vibes from her that will we'll see her conflict throughout this uh change for the jedi order uh take more of a spotlight you know but for now i think she's more of that rock like literally because she was at the battle and then like for the the narrative as well no for sure i mean like yeah you gotta take it with a grain of salt it's only one book she's gonna be in a lot more so Mm uh i'm sure she's got a lot to grow uh so i'm I'm not counting her out at all um i'm excited to see where her story goes what do you think of i I, what do you think of elzar and then quickly buryaga who's like my favorite Uh, yeah Um, (laughs) elzar on the same page as you um like it's interesting that kind of qui-gon vibes of like you know wants to just mess around with some some theories i i think there was something towards the beginning where like in his introduction they were saying like I think it was when Avar was, like, checking in on everybody. Um, she was like, oh, yeah, he's away right now, but I can I can hear he's coming to help. And um, it gave a quick aside about, because this book has a lot of those, a quick aside about um, the reason he's not, like, fully recognized by the council is because he wants to have that free reign of, like, being out there, testing some things out. Um, 
master of none kind of like i i think it's an interesting approach yeah. to a character uh for this jedi order that we're learning about so what about you i i also agree with you i think it's cool that he has he definitely does have qui-gon vibes mm -hmm. uh but he looks he looks a lot more uh young and hot than qui-gon <laughs> sure because uh, <laughs> he's on the cover too i think mm -hmm. um yeah, I, I think I said what I had to say about Elzar. I think he's cool. Um, uh, I, I really love Buryaga. Oh, me too. I'm, I'm sad that we only got one chapter with him. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Buryaga's also in the Children's Reader, I think, right? They're front so. center in that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I like Buryaga a lot too, because I think... I think in our impressions we touched on it a bit, but the, the, just the concept of a Jedi Wookiee I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, if I was looking for growth from anyone, I think I want more of it from Buryaga. Just to like flesh out what it's like to be so in incredibly different from like your fellow Padawans, you know, of just not really speaking basic, um, really sort of trying to juggle the ideals of your culture versus the ideals of the jet like i feel like buryaga based on the alien species we know we know a lot about the wookie like life culture yeah. in ways we don't know about like the duras or like anybody else you know so i, I think there's an interesting conflict there that we could explore more with buryaga i think i i think i brought it up in our impressions video too uh I, I like how the Wookiee is the one who's like most in touch with his emotions. Yeah. I think that that's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, quickly, just like briefly touching on uh, the, the Nile. Uh, we, I think we talked about this in the impressions video. Mm -hmm. I think they're a pretty cool enemy. Um, and I also, I also think uh, uh, Markeon Rowe is also pretty scary. <laughs> yeah. I like Rowe too. Cause I hadn't had much experience with Rowe last time when we talked Um I, and I see where you were coming from as, like, operating in that position. I, I think you compared them to Darth Vader. Slightly. Slightly, yeah. Yeah. I can see that. And I think what's impressive about the Nile is the threat they pose for being so, like, non-in-tune with the Force, the way the Sith are, and the way the Sith can threaten the Jedi. And I feel like it could be interesting as we explore the higher public and in this book where i think the nile's greatest advantage is that there's really no battle strategy in that like the jedi can track um the way the sith are like very very calculated you know these these warriors are really just vikings as they've been compared to several times but right. i think the brutality of vikings is something the jedi can't plan around consistently the way you can with a tactician in like a, a civil war or a clone war or something and like just the number i feel like having a, a large number of troops or supporters or warriors in the nile can really show how incredibly powerful the sith is like if it takes an entire army of nile to pose a threat to the jedi order and they can walk out clean but still have a lot of loss and struggle and we see the jedi order fail because of like two sith i, I <laughs> yeah, think that's going to yeah. be really interesting too like in hindsight no i think what you're saying about how like the nile are pretty unorganized compared mm -hmm. to the sith is is kind of essential in in like my my analysis here which bear with me i'm not sure if i'm going to make any sense right now but okay. like the Nile are so chaotic, right? And it seems like they pose a threat to the Jedi, like in their chaos, mm -hmm. right? Just because, like you said, like Jedi can't sort of, you know, combat that. And the Sith, like you know, they're very, they're very deliberate and everything. It's interesting because, like, right now, and this is something that I wanted to touch upon, the Jedi of this book seem like they're pretty lax with like all their rules and everything mm -hmm. but the jedi of the prequels are extremely dog dogmatic right so it's sort of like the same sort of evolution that the nile are chaotic the jedi in this book seem way more chaotic than the jedi in the prequels right mm -hmm. and maybe through maybe through some part of this conflict that they have with the nile 
they become that more dogmatic Jedi that we see in the prequels because they have to adapt to battling this chaos. I don't know. That's just something that came to my mind. I can see that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, one of the things I did want to talk about was like how the Jedi does do seem pretty lax with all their rules compared to the prequels. Yeah. Like I was fully expecting the the Jedi of this book to be stuffy McStuff stuff when it comes to their rules, you know? Like Same, same. So that caught me off guard a little bit and like that's why when we had all this banter because a lot of it happens and we're jumping around a lot with the Hetzel stuff but like a lot of that is like oh these Jedi are like having a good time you know they're they're, they're saving people they're like oh yeah we're yeah. the heroes yeah. um which is partly what I expected but I really truly did expect a lot of like no emotion really nothing but like a lot of it I think and what impressed me out the gate and set the tone for the rest of the book was that relationship between Bell and uh, Loden because it is like it's respectful it's still a master and apprentice but it did read playful to me like yeah, yeah. Bell is very much having a good time you know like really awestruck still at just the fact of being a Jedi um, or in training and the way they play off each other uh, Buryaga as well um and his master like their relationship it's all it was all very surprising to me and i have to wonder if it's because these jedi weren't stationed in coruscant for a while maybe like is that what your take was i don't know dude because i i, I kind of just they all seemed that way right yeah. So I kind of just took it like that is the, the you know, I don't know, the company culture of the Jedi Order, sure. you know, right? Like, that's just how they are. Yeah. I, I, that's that's how I read it, at least. Do you know if, because the whole thing with them going to Hetzel was that everybody in the initial wave was like, hey, we were at Starlight Beacon because it had its christening or whatever. That's why we're still in our robes. Yeah, yeah do we know how long they were at starlight beacon for like did they travel from coruscant to starlight beacon just for that day so they could christen it or like were they stationed out there for a while and it was finally the christening day i i honestly don't know i think i think didn't bell zetafar at some point say that like they were stationed out for a while maybe because i think i think uh loden said something like when we get back to coruscant i'll throw you off a cliff or, or i'll throw you off a building or yeah 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 i think that they had i think they had been out okay because i yeah i didn't know not sure if it would be on that level of just like hey they've been you know away from the meetings for a while so <laughs> yeah, yeah like, ah, whatever. I but like I, I don't know just like looking at how you know or we're, we're jumping all over the place but That's fine. Elzar, it's, a, it's spoiler time it's fine yeah how you know elzar man at the end of the book becomes a master right mm -hmm. uh he finally right he, that's that's how i remember it I yeah know. yeah uh and like it's interesting because like I, I don't know like he he like you said he has this sort of like qui-gon vibe and they the jedi council like in this seem to be like pretty cool with that mm -hmm. but like in master and apprentice we get like so much commentary about how qui-gon wants to learn new stuff about the force and the jedi council's like nah man none of that mm -hmm. like you can't we can't be doing that right uh, so like i don't i don't know it's just like kind of interesting to see that dichotomy like throughout time and i wonder how they get to you know from point a to point b yeah and i i hope we see that at some point of like the de-evolution i guess of uh their laxness perhaps yes yeah yeah so well i mean so i guess we could just talk about uh the this the plot in general just uh the setup with the hyperspace disaster and the general plot of how you know the jedi have to stop all these emergencies and figure out what was going on um yeah Christ, christian what, what did you think about that in general so i thought the discovery and like i guess the mystery of it was at a good pace like it was asking questions like i had a feeling it was going to be like the nile you know it's like i know these are the bad guys like yeah yeah <laughs> waiting for that moment to be announced um but i did think the way that uh charles soul like again doled out those uh little seeds of like oh i wonder how this happened and maybe it was this like that i enjoyed 
despite having a good guess of, of what the answers would be. Um, yeah. And as far as like a narrative, I think it's good. I think it like it jumps around a lot, um, perspective wise, which I, I think is a nece- necessity if you're establishing a new era like this and trying to like paint the picture of like what we spent like 20 minutes talking about like the code of the jedi the morals of the jedi how they exist how they're different i think that is almost a necessity to kick off for a set like essentially look at this as like a reboot to star wars kind of like a soft reboot kind of where you have to still convey all the rules of this time and place because it's all new right yeah yeah no i think i think a lot of people are giving are kind of are kind of saying like oh charles soul like his writing like this book seemed like it was kind of going all over the place like it was hard to follow but like put yourself in his shoes he has to like he has to like kick off this like huge era basically of history and star wars lore it's gonna be a lot and like i found myself while while reading this book to be like oh my gosh like another starship name like another character like another planet like can you be stopped for a second yeah i um i had to stop myself because like the first uh let's say 10 chapters you know like i i I stopped this around chapter 10 i think like every time there was a new thing i had my laptop next to me i was just like okay wikipedia what does this look like okay what does this look like who's this character like (laughs) i'm just trying to get like a mental image you know because like um I learned the Duros species name because I had no idea what that was. It's like, oh, it's the blue aliens with the red eyes. Um, <laughs> yeah, with the big heads. Yeah, yeah exactly. I like no idea what that was. I was like, what's a Duros? How should, like, why should I, like, I, and I'm, you know, pull up Wikipedia. I'm like, okay, what is this? Oh, it's that. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. I was doing that so often in the first, like, quarter of the book. And I was like, I had to stop because I was, like, preventing myself from progressing at a good pace because I was like, I just, you know, just go with it. Like, just go i had i actually literally had the same thing like yeah. i was looking everything up and i was like this is just like it's taking me way too long yeah. to, to read this mm-hmm. um yeah i mean like that that was kind of a downside to me of the book um and i guess it probably could have been better if the book was longer and i think the book could have been a lot longer than yeah because you and i were both kind of surprised for like the first book i was expecting this thing to be like 480 pages 500 pages like <laughs> 500 i was thinking yeah and like it's it's an easy read i think you know outside of having to stop yourself once in a while but um (laughs) yeah i i do i do like the way it painted the picture of the higher public i think it was successful in that despite feeling a little scatterbrained at times um yeah yeah. i i definitely i definitely agree with you i think it did a good job getting the point across and i i enjoyed it overall um one of the things that I did want to talk about that I, I, I'm not really, I don't know if I'm interested in like Charles souls. Like this is kind of me just being a nerd now. I don't know if I'm like that impressed by like Charles souls, like prose writing. It, it doesn't, it just didn't seem very detailed to me where it could have been. And like a lot of like the ways that he wrote stuff, I was like, that just doesn't make any sense. Um, it, it lacked a solid flow, I think. Cause like yeah. I found myself looking for pauses and i was like oh i can kind of just pause whenever (laughs) like you know um yeah so i do think like i don't know if that's as much him because this is the only book of his i've read i've read comics but um i I love the comics this is the only book that's why i'm saying i don't know if it's like his prose writing or not yeah because i i I do think most of my holdups with the book despite really loving it is just there's so much so i don't know if it's just the weight of that of like okay i need to talk about this and i also have to talk about this and this and this and, this, and the list goes on um like i don't know i don't know i i'd be interested to see him do another book um but i think why again i'm really excited marking out for this claudia gray book um because the tone has been set now and i'm interested to see like more intimate uh focuses on specific characters not a whole ensemble cast you know and for sure like again early in that book i was like okay give me that give me that loading book give me that loading series whatever you want to do loading and bell give me that book i'll read that (laughs) you know yeah 
I mean, I think that there's still a possibility for that kind oh, of stuff too. Absolutely, and that's I think why I'm excited for the Claudia Gray book because it's it's about a Padawan. It's a Padawan's perspective on having to be sent out to the outer rim. So like now that we set the tone, now that we know the rules, obviously we can learn more. But like grounding yourself with one character or a couple, you know, instead of this large swath of Jedi, I think is going to help moving forward and i do think it is just a necessary evil kind of of launching this whole thing yeah and as you read the book it's the book definitely starts to sort of focus in on a few of them Mm -hmm. um and i guess that kind of leads us into talking about the ending and where you think this goes for uh you know going forward where this goes because uh kevin scott's writing the rising storm Mm -hmm. which is like effectively a sequel to this yes light of the jedi book um, at the end of the book, we understand that Marquion Rowe, uh, like, was responsible for the hyperspace disaster using his, uh, Lor Santeca's, like, grandma. Uh, that was cool. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess. Which reminds me, actually, I wanted to bring this up, reminds me of the guild navigators in Dune. Um, okay. Yeah, I guess, like, so, so yeah, Lor Santeca's grandma, like, can can see her way through hyperspace that's similar to the dune guild navigators because they travel through space using the spice Mm -hmm. um so interesting that i saw that there um yeah we we get to we get to hear basically marky on rose big plan of consolidating the the nile sort of giving it like a weird sort of structure with him at the top and trying to knock the jedi off their their uh their their pedestal essentially Mm -hmm. um and he he captures Lord and Great Storm, unfortunately. Yeah, that was that was a bummer. Honestly, what surprised me a lot, I really didn't expect the end of the book to be like a find out next time on Dragon Ball Z. Like I was really expecting yeah, it to yeah. be much more of a definitive ending, which like again had me guessing. It's it's good to hear you say that Rising Storm is probably the direct sequel because I that's in June, I think. But like yeah. There's going to be so much higher public content between now and June, so, like, I'm curious to see what I'll have to catch up on before the rising storm, you know? And for the people that only want in on the adult readers or whatever, um, how much are they missing in between, you know? That's that's true, yeah. I guess we don't know what that's going to be like. I would assume that, like, if you follow with the adult reader stuff, you're, you're going to, you know, you're going to be able to hit the hit the main points, Mm-hmm. um like who knows because i was before the show i actually i looked up the wikipedia for uh bell and it said that bell was also featured in one of the e- younger reader books called like um a daring is- a rescue or something like that and i was wondering if it was if that book is a retelling of like the rescue mission he goes on in this book for like a younger audience so like are we gonna get you know just like comics reinterpreting some of the stuff i like is there going to be any load-in content between now and june i i would think maybe <laughs> not you know yeah probably not i mean i know that there has been there have been like some other interpretations like of head of cassette like in the legacy run mm-hmm. that's been like i think animated or something like that okay um so or or at least like if you go to the legacy run disaster page on wikipedia there's like a a still it looks like from something okay. and i'm like oh i actually, don't know what that's i i i think it's from the the higher public show the new show that starwars.com is um, working on so, interesting yeah i'm honestly i i'm probably gonna i don't like super follow the star wars show but i might follow the higher public show just because i'm not going to be reading everything um just uh the main books and a few choice ya ones probably but um yeah and maybe some comics but i i I do wonder how they'll divvy up the plot and forward progression amongst these two books and everything else yeah well i think one thing is safe to say that there's a lot of interesting stuff on the way for the higher public christian Mm -hmm. um is... I'm not sure if we talked about everything in the book, but <laughs> no. Well, I have a question for you. Yeah, yeah. Because we see with Roe at the end, it's like the plan that you touched on of like wanting to 
amass an army and like rise you know so (laughs) is the rising storm about the nile becoming more organized or is the rising storm referencing uh one loading great storm (laughs) just becoming more powerful (laughs) through this torture you know through this it's like okay we're trying to get you to like stop using the force what if you're just becoming more and more powerful the rising great storm exactly that's the full title but they couldn't spoil it right yeah they're gonna come out wait it's coming out in june yeah in uh, yeah in in uh in may they're gonna be like actually we lied yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I think. I think it's interesting though that the Nile are turning into like a more organized yeah. sort of entity. We'll a, see how that goes. A first order, if you. <laughs> a first order. Yes. Uh, well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up, Christian. Unless you have anything else that you want to talk about the Light of the Jedi. I, I loved it overall. Oh yeah, I I really really enjoyed it. Um, I I know we hung up a little bit on like the issues with it technically, but none of that holds it back. And I think it's a great place to hop into if you haven't read Star Wars still. Oh, I think it's if you I think it would be hard if you never had like any idea about Star Wars at all. Mm -hmm. But like if you like Star Wars and like you're like, you know, I want to read the books, but I don't know where to start. That's the book to start. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's it's specifically early on in the book. It is a little hectic, but. I'm, I'm sure if you picked up the first game of thrones book you have the same exact issue of like what the hell's going on <laughs> like um so i can highly recommend it to like like you said anybody who likes star wars and has been curious about the books i think it's a great place to pick up it totally is yeah i i'm i liked it i i can't wait to see what happens oh yeah they got me on the edge of my seat i'm ready i'm in i'm in so greatly enjoyed it all right, Christian, you're always better at, at taking us out to sea, so why don't you do that? Sounds good. Uh, you want to shout out your Twitter? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike P. Connors. Very nice. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, and uh, TikTok at Chun2D2. Uh, this show at Jedi Knights JC on Twitter. Uh, the video version of the show, though, is available on YouTube.com slash JoyClicks. This episode and all other 66 before us are available on the playlist Jedi Knights on the channel as well as audio versions if you would like to listen to the show apple Podcasts, spotify your podcast service of choice if you can rate a review on that platform it'd be greatly appreciated if you did because it helps us a ton and uh, that just takes a quick second tap a button write a little review uh we are all the republic uh if you want to (laughs) just write that on there in the comments go for it um and if you want to get involved further patreon.com slash joy joy clicks is where you can go to support the show uh, $1 tier, $5 tier, 5 bucks gets you producer credit for every show, every month, uh, and a shout-out like Chris Sakas. So thank you very much. But, um, yeah, that's going to wrap it up for episode 67 of Jedi Knights. So, yes. until next week, uh, we're fine. Everything's fine. How are you? May the Force be with you. Oh, yes, 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 you're right. Beep is up.